I got lucky that I had one idea and executed it, but there's so many incredible people out there with amazing ideas. And actually it's the startup world that is the one that changes the world. You know, you forget that Nike and Apple and all of those were startups. You know, it's not government. It's actually all the good ideas for the world come from startups. Welcome to Hypercurious, a show that helps us embrace changes, finding our path, and following our curiosity. My name is Bita Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur, and each week I unveil the most intriguing aha moments of incredible founders, authors, and business leaders in different industries. My guest today is Nick Telson. He's a former marketer at L'Oreal who became an entrepreneur and then an investor. He co-founded Design My Night, a booking system that powered the best pubs and restaurants in the UK, handling over £250 million worth of transactions. He sold the business in 2017 and now dedicates his time between investing in startups, writing a book and hosting Pitch Deck, an incredible podcast I had the pleasure to be a guest at. In this show, Nick talks to us about how to keep yourself on an even keel, why raising money is not a success, but building a successful company is. And a special advice for when your high achiever seeds of doubts are in your head. I love that one. And stay tuned for the continuation of Olivia's story at the end. Nick, welcome to the show. You're now a successful entrepreneur, investor, and you have some really cool projects going on, including a podcast and a book that you started writing. But you started your career and your life in a very different position. So you, I'm guessing you left uni and went to work for L'Oreal, which is one of the biggest cosmetic companies in the world. And, uh, and suddenly you changed direction. How was this process of deciding that I'm going to leave the corporate world and I'm going to go and venture into the unknown? I think point one is actually, you know, I never massively thought I wanted to go into startups. I think you speak to a lot of founders that, you know, they always knew they wanted to, to be in a startup. It's actually probably my co-founder, Andrew, who had always said at university as well, you know, he really wants to do a startup. You know, for me, I loved marketing. I loved advertising. Um, I did languages at university, so nothing to do with marketing. But that was the sort of creative side of my brain. You know, I can't add up. I can't do maths, I can't do science. Um, so I'm definitely the creative side of my brain. Um, went to join L'Oreal, which essentially is a marketing company, one, one of the best. You know, there's only so many different ways you can bottle up a shampoo, but it's all down to marketing, really. And it, it, at, at that time, which was oh, 2006, I think, um, you know, that was one of the best post-university training schemes that was around. They work you really hard. They throw you in at the deep end. And, and I tried lots of different areas at L'Oreal. So marketing, sales, um, procurement, operations, um, and, and landed on marketing, uh, which is what I thought I'd enjoy. And I think for me, like, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. It's a great company, great atmosphere there. Lots of like-minded people. You know, you work super, super hard. Being in the UK was difficult as well because you're dictated a lot from Paris. So, you know, Paris create the products um, and their central marketing teams then give it to the local regions to then adapt it as you want, but you don't have total control. 
so that started, you know, some seeds of doubt in my head. But I think the main thing for me was, you know, a few years in, I looked at my general manager, who I got on really well with, um, and look what she was doing. And actually, at that level, she was just doing reports, um, you know, PowerPoints to Paris, um, and, and actually wasn't doing marketing. And I just thought to myself, that's just not where I want to get to. And that was the road I was on. So I think for me, it was it was that that really made me think, do I want to stay in a corporate? And and sim- and at that time, the idea for Design My Night started to, to formulate as well. So with the idea in my head and Andrew's excitement mixed with, you know, actually, if I stay here another year or two and become general manager, you know, is that going to fulfill me? Probably not. Um, so I think that was my main reason for just taking the, the plunge um, out of the corporate world. Amazing. Did you have the idea already formed or Andrew had the idea? No. Um, uh, we came up with the idea in New York. We were actually on a, on a bit of a drunk night out and we can't remember who actually thought of the idea, but originally the idea was going to be a discount drinks website. But then I spoke to my friend who worked at Diageo and she said, oh, no one would advertise on a website that promotes cheap drinking. So even before we formulated the idea, we pivoted to a price comparison site for going out. At that time, you had the likes of um, Go Compare and Money Supermarket, you know, that were getting big. So we thought, oh, let's do that for going out. And that will be our USP. So that that's the original website, which I've got screen grabs of today, hidden away. Um, our strapline was the UK's first price comparison site for going out. Um, so you would go on, do, do I want a cheap night, an expensive night, a medium night? And then, you know, do I want a bar, a pub, a restaurant and, and sort of filter down? So, yeah, the original idea from New York when we came back and actually started formulating the plan properly, it sort of pivoted to that. Got it. Got it. I was, or I think I still am, right? Like a massive user of, of Design My Night. And what I like most is uh, the way that the tags work and the, the way that I can select the types of venues and things that I can do is, uh, to me, stands out from the rest of the other competitors, right? But you, you went through a journey that the company started uh, as a B2C, like a business that is direct to consumers as a business model, and then you move to have a model that you get money uh, from other companies, right, from, from partners. How, how did this shift happen? Um, so it was a big shift. So we were probably three years in and after our first round of funding from an, a group of angels, when we, at that point, we were putting bookings into bars, but manually. So bookings were coming in through our website. Andrew and myself would be phoning up the bars, booking them in, um, doing that 24-7. So very, very manual. And we actually were fortunate enough to have a lunch with um, the founder of Top Table back then before it became Open Table. And he was talking about, yeah, you know, software and the booking model. Um, so that started formulating some ideas in our head. But then actually it was a few of our bar partners that, you know, we were sending lots of bookings to and we got very close to them. They loved what we did as a consumer site for them promoting their bars. And actually they said to us, have you ever thought about building a software for the bar industry? You know, we all use restaurant software, but it's just not built for the flexibility that a bar needs. You know, a restaurant is a table of two, a table of four, a table of six. 
where a bar, you've got seated, you've got standing, you've got areas, you've got private hires, you've got birthdays. So it's a much more complex scenario. So we explored that, spoke to a few more of our partners in the industry, and actually we'd already built version one without realizing because all of the bookings that were coming in from our website were coming into a back-end dashboard that we would then phone up the bars and put the bookings in, marketers confirmed in our own dashboard. So actually we already had the bones of a booking system that we were using ourselves internally. So we scoped it out, spoke to more and more partners to sort of verify that the need was there in the industry. And actually at that time, we also spoke to pubs and they were crying out for it because a pub actually is a restaurant, it's a bar, it's also a private hire space. So, you know, there's a lot of pubs in the UK. So we thought, you know, if we can crack this and sell it to pubs and bars, we could be onto something. So we pivoted pretty quickly. So, you know, the idea wasn't necessarily ours, but I think our strength was deciding to pivot quickly. Um, And, you know, that was a big shift for our company in terms of staff hiring, to go from just B2C to B2C and B2B. I love that because you kind of, uh, it's very connected to the theme of this podcast. It's uh, you followed your curiosity and then you you saw a change coming and you embraced that. You're like, okay, there is a latent demand here. I'm going to go where people are needing my company as opposed to just being on your own creative journey, right? Yeah, I think that's what I say to a lot of founders now is, For me, the best founders are the ones that are really in their industry and they understand their industry, they're close to the industry and they're constantly speaking to clients. And actually, if you are that type of founder, you will find a journey or a path that your industry needs rather than being outside the industry and saying, here's a product for you. So for us, you know, for those three years, um, we were getting to know bars, managers, operations people in the bar industry and just speaking to them. Um, and because of our close relationship with them, the idea came. So, yeah, you know, even now as an investor, when I see ideas, sometimes I don't think that that's the idea that's going to be successful. But I like the founder and I see that the founder fully understands the industry they're in. So I trust them that they are going to find a path within that industry um, and, you know, do the, the famous pivot to find something that does work. Um, so as you say, that curiosity within the industry is, is very important. And how much money did you have when you, when you started? How much money did you invest in the company in the first, uh, was it first couple of years before you, start, you raised money from angel investors? Yeah, so it was it was personal money that Andrew and I'd saved. So we 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 put in about ten to fifteen thousand each, um, which we'd save from our companies working. So we we knew for probably eight months before we left our our, our work that we were going to leave. So you know those eight months to a year we were saving hard. We weren't going out. You know all of our salary we were saving for design by night. So we started with that. We took on a teeny bit of family money as well. But that you know that let's just say thirty thousand pounds lasted for two years, and then we raised our first round, which was two hundred fifty thousand pounds. And then the year later we raised another £250,000 from our angel investors. And then that was it. So we only ever raised £500,000. And that, you know, which is a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of the world today in startups, it's nothing. Um, And I think that's a big passion of mine now when I'm coaching founders or my investments is 
let's make money go a long way. You know, raising money isn't successful. Building a successful company is successful. So, you know, you know, I've, I've been with founders where we've just closed the seed round and the next board meeting, three months later, they're talking about the next round already. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. You've just got £500,000 in the bank. Let, let's not think about the next raise. Um, let's make that money go far. So I think that that's, you know, that's going to be a big part of my book. Um, and that's something that I talk about a lot with founders is doing it the old school way, which I think now post corona as well. Um, I think people are going to have to be a bit more thrifty with the money they spend. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And there's a whole discussion about is it a lifestyle business or if it's a high growth business? And then when you think high growth, you immediately think I'm, I need to raise millions of money, but not necessarily, right? And you prove that you can do it with you know less than millions. And eventually you, you exist in a much better position because you probably had way more percentage of the company when you sold the company. Yeah, it's exactly that. I think, yeah, number one, uh, Andrew and I were very clear from the start. Um, again, this is advice I always give. It's it, the dirty word is money. I think, you know, the founder world has become very almost spiritual in its thinking that, you know, money is dirty and all founders are here to change the world. But, you know, actually, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, for me, financial freedom to then do what I want to do and, and make an impact, whether that be with money or charity or whatever, was important to me. So Andrew and I were very open with each other on what we wanted from Design My Night and, and the amount. So, you know, we sat down and we said, okay, if this is going to be a 10-year journey, how much money do we want to make? And you can work back from that. So, you know, how much percentage you have to give away? You know, how much equity do you need when you come to exit? And for us, If you have a profitable company, when you come to exit, you'll always have people that want to buy you. I think that just makes sense. Um, so for us, growing a profitable company with great EBITDA margins was always a priority. You, you will have people lining up that want to buy a company that is doing three million pounds EBITDA versus you might be doing 100 million revenue, but you're making a million, two million loss. So, you know, we knew that even if an industry player didn't want to buy us, then, you know, private equity or someone would because we were just churning out cash. It's a real, it's a real business, right? Yeah. And shifting gears a little bit into kind of the personal journey as an entrepreneur, you probably received like tons of no's from investors, from potential employees, from partners. How do you not take that personally? You know as well, you know, it's the, the founder journey is, it's a cliche, but it is a roller coaster. You know, you, you wake up one day and everything goes right and you feel on top of the world and you wake up the next day and everything's going wrong and you feel awful. So I, I think what I tried to do was try and keep on an even keel as much as possible. So actually, when we had highs, we never celebrated them so much. And when we had had lows, we never let them get to the let them get to us as much either. So actually, if you keep yourself on this even keel, that goes for the same as no's and disappointments that you're like, okay, that's a disappointment. Let's move on. I think if you've got the self-belief in the company, which we always had, if you can keep yourself on an even keel, then 
you will get the the positivity that you want eventually rather than being super happy and enjoying that day but then the next week feeling super depressed and it's not easy to do and you know it does take real mental strength to try and keep on that even keel but for me that was how you know we did it we Andrew and I really never celebrated milestones you know when we got investment we gave each other a high five and then next day we were back to work even when we sold the company it's crazy when we think back, you know, we achieved the dreams we wanted, but then we had a two year earnout. So we were like, okay, we celebrate tonight. Next day, we were back in work. So, you know, even now where we've now fully exited, we're on to our next project. So, you know, we've never really stopped to enjoy the highs. But for us, that stops you hitting the lows as well, if that makes sense. It does. And how do you create this discipline? What would be the the, the key kind of advice that you would give to people who are listening to us like oh my god how can I stay in this you know <laughs> not too much not too low <laughs> there's no sort of secret pill for that maybe that should be my next business um, but you know I, I think that also is, is from within it's, it's a mental strength from within I think surrounding yourself with with people so uh, you know a founder journey, even with a co-founder, can be very lonely. You know, your partners might not fully understand, your parents don't really fully understand what's going on in your head. So I think surrounding yourself with people that, you know what, if something goes wrong on a day, you don't dwell on it. You just go out for a drink with your friends and talk about non-work stuff. Um, or you go home and have a drink and dinner with your other half and not talk about work stuff because it is an obsession and you can't say don't make it an obsession because it is an obsession but you need to be able to take yourself out of those moments of, of downness and, and forget about it and just remember that there's other stuff going on in the world a drink or a catch-up with close friends instantly washes away all the seeds of doubt in your head I find so true, so true. Have you have you ever had imposter syndrome? Not with Design My Night because we were very much sort of heads down founders. Uh, we never really put ourselves, you know, above the trenches. So no one really knew about us. Uh, Andrew and I never courted press. We were never doing these sort of startup meetups. Um, Design My Night as a company never gained press because we didn't raise a ton of money so for us we, we never saw ourselves in the startup community we actually thought a bit more old school and you know I speak to my dad who who has his own company he's not he doesn't call himself an entrepreneur you know or a startup founder he's just a businessman and I, I, that goes back to what I was saying before about this whole founder thing you know being a founder has become this holy grail but actually we're all just businessmen or businesswomen building a good business that's what we should be doing so Andrew and I were very much like that you know we didn't get carried away with the founder world we didn't see ourselves as great founders we just saw ourselves as business people trying to inspire our staff um, and it was a very sort of tight-knit bubble at Design My Night that we didn't really go beyond that bubble for 10 years. Very grounded there's a lot to be learned there <laughs> Uh, yeah, because you, you're right. It's like entrepreneurship became like the new rock band, right? Yeah. You've become a founder. It's like in the past would be, I'm going to become, become a, a rocker or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've made it and and and, and, and I'm quite strict um, and, and uh, I have a go at some of my founders sometimes when they just spout sort of Y Combinator jargon at me. 
And, I, you know, I just say, can we just cut all that crap, basically? And, you know, let's just get down to the nitty gritty. And I think that all plays into it. And obviously there's like, you know, Netflix shows and Amazon Prime shows about founders and startups. Um, and I think it romanticizes everything. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be a successful founder, there's it's really not romantic. It's just hard, hard work um, and, and, and enjoy the journey for sure. But it's very, very hard work. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about building networks and building kind of the, the right the right setup and the right advisories, like the right people around you, right? For someone who's uh, maybe this super curious person, maybe working marketing, make it, maybe doing something in a large company, right? And they they about to they want to leave and they want to start a company, but they don't see that they have the right connections. How do you start out with building the right connections for you to surround yourself with the right people to start? For me, you know, LinkedIn is 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 still the best place for that. I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time on the, you know, the last sort of eight months on LinkedIn, trying to build up my own profile, but connecting with other like-minded people. And it is it's it's great in as much as if you reach out to people, no matter how busy they are, in the main, most people will want to help. And, and whether it be a full-on mentor or whether it just give you one sentence of advice, most people in the startup world, whether you're a founder, uh, an experienced founder, a new founder, an angel investor, will want to help. So just honestly reaching out to people on LinkedIn, I think, is the best way still to do it. Um, you know, there's lots of communities now that are putting founders together and entrepreneurs together, um, which are great. You know, talking amongst your peers is always good. But yeah, I, 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 I think LinkedIn, for me, is, is still the best platform to do all of that. Just trust your gut. And I think as a founder, it might be wrong sometimes, but just always trust your instinct and just reach out to people as and when you need it. How do you, to, to do that, it requires a lot of self-confidence. How do you build this confidence? I can only speak for myself where people might not believe it and my my old team might not believe it but I'm not a super confident person I'm actually I, I coin myself as a um extroverted introvert so you know I, I am an introvert at heart and I love hiding away but actually in the office on interviews you know on LinkedIn and you know I'm, I'm extroverted but that, that's a constant internal battle to, to, to be extroverted. You know, my, my natural hiding place is hiding. So I, I think it's more, you don't necessarily have to have self-confidence as a person, but I think you need to have confidence in your business. And for whatever reason, I always thought Design My Night would be successful. And I think it was that drive that then drove me on rather than the inner personality drive. I love that. I don't think you can build confidence. You know, I think uh, I think you can put yourself in more. You can you can take yourself out of your comfort zone and and improve your confidence. But I think some people are naturally introverted. Some people are naturally extroverted. You know, if you look at all the the great founders that people always cite, you know, Steve Jobs was you know a, a bit of a techie weirdo. Elon Musk comes across like this, but I, you know, I imagine actually he's actually just a weird, introverted, crazy guy. I think a lot of it is for show with founders, um, and you know, yeah, some of the best I think are just quiet introverts that just get on with a great idea. I don't think you have to be this big showman to be 
a great founder. You said that you always had a, a huge belief that Design My Night would be successful. Did you never doubt? Was there any moment that you're like, damn it, we're not going to make it. I think I was wrong. I think we had days or months when, you know, things were, were going wrong. The only doubts we had was coming towards the end that would someone want to buy us and, and, and the figures that Andrew and I wanted to achieve. You know, if you write down those numbers and you're like, wow, is, is someone actually going to pay us that amount of money for our business? As I said, you know, we were never lauded in the press. We were never this media darling of the London tech scene. So there was no hype around us. So for us to sit down and think, is someone literally going to hand us this amount of money? You know, is I just couldn't believe that someone would. So I think there was that doubt. But no, we, we always thought no matter what ups and downs we hit, the core business was always strong. And we knew that we could grow that core business. So yeah, it was more, could we sell it for X rather than Y? But the business itself, I think after our first round of funding and we discovered the software, for us, there was no reason this business should fail. Now you changed the side of the table, right? You're an angel investor. What is the most valuable advice that you would give to yourself in the beginning of your journey? Now that you can see all of those entrepreneurs knock on your door to ask you for money. I think um, for us, it was it was focus. I think when you start, it's very easy to get carried away with opportunities, partnerships, different um, arms to your business, different products. But for me, it's always, especially now as an angel investor, if I've invested in someone, I'm very much, I've invested in your belief of this product or at least this journey stay focused on that journey um you know for us it was always should we take design my night abroad or not you know probably every month for 10 years we have people emailing us saying i want to take it to new york i want to take it to paris it doesn't exist in chicago but we knew we could achieve what we wanted to achieve in the uk and for us that single-minded focus on achieving our EBITDA and doing that in the UK and not being attracted by the bright lights of going abroad was the best advice that we sort of gave ourselves and actually our angel investors in the main there was one that always wanted us to go to America but the others were very much let's keep it focused so yeah I passed that message on now and yeah you know just not get carried away with opportunity. Um, and I don't want to sound that, you know, I, I'm sort of quashing founders purpose to build a huge company, but I think to, you know, th there's a difference between getting a company off the ground and then having the license to maybe look beyond the walls of your company and actually not even having a company yet and then going off in lots of different direction. So very much try and just keep them laser focused on what they need to achieve. So I created a fictional character called Olivia. And in each episode of this series, uh, Olivia has a stuck moment in her career. And my guest gives her a piece of advice so she can get unstuck. 
So uh, we have progressed Olivia's life a little bit. So I'm going to kind of try to give you a summary of where she is right now and a little bit of her background. Olivia graduated in finance and uh, worked for a couple of years in a very large financial institution until the moment that she was like, oh my God, I hate that. And she uh, realized that she loves everything about uh, marketing, creative, copywriting. And she got a job in a very large uh, advertising agency. And she, she was, you know, super happy until uh, one day recession comes. And then her boss tells her, look, we're going to reduce people here in the company. And unfortunately, your job is redundant. So we want to move you into the finance department. She was kind of uh, devastated, happy, but devastated because she was like, damn it, now I'm going to take like five steps back in my career, go back to finance. She decided to stay and she knew that her job would not be as fun. So she started to kind of build all the things outside of the job to bring her joy. She lived through the recession and then, you know, everything kind of calmed down after six months and she went back to marketing to, to you know, the copywriting side of the business, uh, started to develop her career and then was really in a really good path to become a creative director. And then one day a friend of her, very good friends of her, uh, comes to her and say, look, I have this fantastic idea to start a new company and you're going to be my perfect partner and it's highly scalable and we're going to revolutionize the advertising world. Do you want to come with me? And then she's like, one side of her brain is like, okay, there's a promising career here that could be a little bit more secure and I love what I do. And there's this kind of, you know, opportunity of the unknown that I don't know if I can do that. So the big question to her is is like, am I the entrepreneurial kind of person that would be able to deal with, uh, with building my own company? So, and then she meets Nick and then Nick, what do I do right now? What do you say to Olivia? I would say a few things. So number one is look at your personal circumstances. So um, can you afford physically and emotionally to sort of put your life on hold for at least two years? Secondly, I would say if you left your company, would you leave on good enough terms and that they like you enough that if it all went wrong, you, you know you would have a job back in that same company again? So if those two things were, yes, so I have enough finances in my life and I'm emotionally ready to put my life on hold and I could go back to that same company or job that I love, then I would say go for it. I think it's like having a baby, actually, making the jump. So a lot of my friends um, are having kids or have had kids. Um, Whenever I ask them, are you ready for this? They always say, no, you can't really mentally prepare yourself. But when you have the baby, you just get on with it. And I think that's the same with being a founder, an entrepreneur, is if you listed all the things that it was going to entail, you would never make the jump. So just make that jump. And you know what, if it's not right for you and you hate it, you know you've got a job to go back to, but you might actually love it and be really, really good at it. Um, And until you make that jump, you just won't know. So that would be my advice to Olivia. So go for it. Go for it, but have a plan B. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> really good. That's that's a great way to to finish. Nick, tell me what is your next venture? What is occupying your mind right now? So a few things. So um, depending when this goes out, one of the ventures might be live, um, and that's called Horseplay Ventures, um, which is with myself and Andrew again, um, and we've called it Horseplay Ventures because it's about having fun but we label ourselves as a startup playground and um, within horseplay ventures we're going to house all of our investments and looking for more investments we're going to have um, a syndicate list uh, we're going to build of all the most active angel investors in the uk and europe um, and we're going to have that service for free we're also going to have our own incubator where we come up with ideas bring them to life, test them, see if they work, get them live quickly. And if any stick, we're going to bring on a team to run it. So not ourselves. So we're, we'll be looking for inspiring CEOs or founders to come in and take our creation and actually run them. And then we're also going to have um, startup tools on there. So completely free, no data capture. So just come on, download budgets, EBITDA forecasts, investor updates, pitch decks, um, all free for startups and founders. Um, so yeah, as I say, like a real all-encompassing playground for startups. And then as part of that, I'm writing a book about my journey at Design My Night, but that's going to be called something around the relatable startup. I, I, I sort of want to write a book that founders can really relate to um, rather than reading Steve Jobs or Richard Branson or Alan Sugar, which are all great reads. Um, but I always found with those books that, you know, page one is I want to start a record label. Page three, I've got a thousand record shops. And actually for me, how do you get from that is quite important. So I'm going to write a book around that, which I'm, I'm doing at the moment. And then finally, a podcast, which is going to be called Pitch Deck, which is going to be sort of like a dragon's den over a podcast, but with myself and a guest angel or mentor every show. And rather than it be a platform for us to beat down the founder to get a lower valuation, we're actually going to have a very frank, honest discussion about their business, about their pitch, and you know whether we would invest as angels um, or whether we would need more convincing, but have a very frank discussion about it, uh, which we hope listeners will then you know be able to get a lot from. So yeah, lots going on. Beautiful. How can people find you if they want to engage with any of your projects? The best social media, well, I'm not on social media apart from LinkedIn. So I cut social media out of my life. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So Nick Telson. So come and say hello, add me. And the website uh, will be horseplay.ventures. Um, so check that out. And that will have links to the podcast as well. And hopefully the book when that's written. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Nick. It was like a pleasure to talk to you and I learned so much and I'm sure that everyone who's listening to us is going to have, if you didn't write a lot of notes, you should have because there's a lot of really good wisdom here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was incredible to spend this time with Nick today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love you to rate us and subscribe if you did. I share the best quotes and audio snippets on my LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram every week. So if you find something there that you would love to share with others, feel free to do so. It would mean the world to me. 
For more information, visit hypercurious.fm.